We are in our series in 1 Thessalonians. It's on page, I think, 1090 in the Bibles that are available to you. If you'd like a copy of the Bible, you're welcome to take one of those with you. And we're at a a turning point in this letter. We're getting to chapter 4, and you will see that the tone of it it changes here a, a bit. And this is typical of Paul's letter. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 12, hear the word of the Lord. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Last week, we talked about a situation in which there is a close relationship, but there's geographical distance. And without the modern communications, particularly, that lent itself to wondering, how's the relationship? Uh, And so we saw last week that there was this kind of the missionaries who had been in Thessalonica and had been run out and disappeared overnight in an uh, atmosphere of persecution, They were concerned about their relationship with the Thessalonian believers. And so they were writing to them, and they sent Timothy to them, and they were saying, are we okay? Are you okay with us? We love you. How do you feel about us? And then Timothy came back and said, oh, Paul, Silas, the Thessalonian believers love you just like you love them. They long to see you just like you long to see them. And so it's, okay, our relationship's fine. But how is their faith? That's the other question. And so Timothy comes back with a report and says, Paul, Silas, their faith is intact. They're walking with the Lord. They're being persecuted, but they're walking with the Lord. They're being faithful. And once again, okay, good. So our relationship's fine, and they're doing fine. Now, what often happens in a relationship like that, where it's like, okay, how are we? Are we okay? Is our relationship okay? And then just, okay, we're okay, good. Well, how are you doing? Are you all right? Everything good in your life? Things are okay? Yes. Yes, I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. And then what's the next step? Um, There's some things we need to talk about. There's some things I want to talk to you about. Now that I've established that we're okay, and I've established that you're okay, well, there's some things that, that I want to bring up. Now that the relationship is on solid ground, I'm sure of that, there's some things I want to talk to you about. And that's what we have in the rest of the letter. It's, it's Paul and Silas and Timothy saying, there's some things we need to talk about. Things are great between us. Things are great in your lives. But, 
but they could be better. There, there's some things that, that could be better. And we, we got a gesture at that, a suggestion of that last week, as Paul wrote and the, his companions wrote in verse 10 of chapter 3, we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So they were doing well, but there were some things lacking. And so what do we have in the rest of this letter? The things that were lacking. And so uh, here you see a, a transition. Now we're going to talk about some things that you, you need to know, some things that in, in which you need to grow. And so what we have here is verses 1 and 2. We have a general urging, a general exhortation. And then in verses 3 to 8, we have a focus on holy sexuality as, as a specific example of, of the general exhortation. And then we have, in verses 9 to 12, love for others. So there, there's a general, we urge you, and then specifically think about these two areas, sexuality and love for others. So in verse 1, um, this is the beginning of this ethical section. And you see that there is a, an emphasis here. So, brothers, we ask and urge. So he uses two verbs, ask and urge. Uh, and, and so it's emphatic here. And they do so in the Lord Jesus. So we're asking you in the Lord Jesus. Uh, our exhortation is within uh, the, the, the will of the Lord Jesus. And what is that exhortation in general? That just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, to walk and to please God. I don't think those are two things. I think those, that's one thing. That is to walk to please God, in order to please God. And this is Paul's favorite metaphor. It's not Paul's. It comes from uh, the Old Testament. We saw it in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk. And so what is walk? It's a, it's a metaphor for living. So we urge you to walk, to live in a way that pleases God. Now, they, they hasten to add, we've already told you how to do that. As you receive from us, when we were there, they were there just weeks or maybe months, they'd already told them, in general, this is how you walk to please God. And so they, they said, we've already told you this, and in addition to that, you're already doing it, in verse 2, just as you are already doing. So once again, this is the good church. This is a, a, a church that is a model church in some ways, as we've seen in the first chapters. But then he says this, or they say this, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more, that you do so more and more. So um, as tiring as this may sound to us as Christians, whether we're young Christians or we've been in the faith for a while, there's no resting on our laurels in the Christian life. We can't just say, okay, I've got this Christian life down. I've, I'm, I'm walking to please the Lord. I think I'll just ride it out from here. I think I'll just kind of coast in from here until the end. No, that's not an option. This is a good church. They were doing well, and Paul says, yes, but you can ratchet it up even more. And on the one hand, that may sound exhausting to us. Like, really? You mean I'm never going to quite get there in this life? But on the other hand, isn't that fascinating? Isn't that encouraging? Christians always have something to live for. You know, there, there are a number of people that lose their reason to live. And as they get older, they, they do just kind of check out and, and, and try to coast in. But Christians, we don't have that option. But not only do we have that option, we don't have that temptation or that, that despair. Imagine how depressing that is. We always have the possibility of pleasing God more and more. In whatever stage of life, we have this 
possibility, a great purpose for living to please God more and more. My father-in-law was a, a Southern Baptist evangelist, and he was back on, I think it was called the Sawdust Trail, and they, he would go into town and set up the tents and go into the stadiums and fill these stadiums up, and he was quite a, 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 a exuberant preacher, and uh, he would travel mostly around the southeast and, and preach these big crusades back in the day. But he had a, he'd love, he'd always started with a joke. That was kind of how you started a sermon. You always start with a joke. And, and he had all these, these, these anecdotes, these illustrations. And I, I, I found, after he was gone, I found his, his uh, notebook of illustrations. And he had one in there that said, that there was in the Alps. Now, this maybe didn't happen, but there were cute anecdotes, anecdotes anyway, but it was just kind of an illustration. But it, it said there was a, a marker in the Alps about a climber who had perished there, and it simply said, he died climbing. Now, you can take that one of two ways. He died, and then the activity he was doing is he was climbing. But the illustration is this. He died what? He died still growing. He still was going up. And that, that, that's a good motto for all of us. How are we going to die? May it be said of us, he died climbing. She died climbing. She was still trying to get, 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 get her life more and more to please God. He was still aspiring to please God more and more. And what are the two areas here in which we should, should die climbing? That is to say, die growing in the faith. Well, the first is, is sexuality. The second is love. And he says here in verse 3, First specific example or, or area, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God. Isn't that great? You know, people come to me, Pastor, I really know, I really want to know what the will of God is for my life. I was like, I know it. I can tell you. It's your sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? It's holiness. And what is holiness? And it's interesting that holiness has two components or, or two facets to it. Holiness basic means, basically means being set apart. So to sanctify is to set apart for a, a, a godly use. And set apart from what? Set apart from the common. So that's the basic idea, set apart. But if it's set apart from the common and the common is corrupt, it also means to be to be righteous, to be godly. Because to be set apart from the common is to have a changing character. So there's a, a positional aspect. You're not here, but you're here. You've been, you've been put over here. But there's also a character aspect, an ethical aspect, a moral aspect. You're not over here, so you don't live like this anymore, but you live like this. So what's God's will for you? Here it is, your sanctification. And then specifically, specifically, he hones in here on sexuality. Now, um, the area of, uh, of sexuality is always difficult for humans. It's always difficult for humans. And I think all of us can say that in one way or another, we have messed up in this area. I think all of us would say we have, we have regrets in this area. This is one of those areas that, that it's very easy for humans to get off track. And so it's, it's important that, that this be addressed, that this not be ignored as, as part of our sanctification, our holiness. And also human societies uh, easily get off track by condoning and even celebrating what is forbidden in God's word. This was certainly the case in the Old Testament, and it was certainly the case in the time of the New Testament. And um, if, if you look around today, you say, wow, our societies have really gotten off track. And then you go back and see what the societies were doing 
uh, in the time of the, the, the calling of the Hebrew people uh, and in the, the, the birth of the Christian church, I think that you would be, you would be appalled and shocked even by today's standards, the kinds of, of things that societies were not only practicing, but also celebrating. And that's why the emphasis in the Old Testament, if you read through the, the first five books of, of Moses, you find these chapters that are all about sexuality. Don't do this, do this, keep it in, in these bounds, and don't let it get out of control here, not with this person, not with that person, and so on. There are these, these, these laws, and then you find the same kind of emphasis. And why is that? Because if we are not going to be here, but we're going to be set apart over here, then one of the areas in which we will very obviously distinguish ourselves is in the area of sexuality. There will be a big contrast between the way the world approaches it and the way God's people approach sexuality. So it's always been an important distinguishing mark of God's set-apart people, our submission to God's standard for sexuality. Now, there, there would be a kind of a and we find this in the Old Testament and New Testament, we could, we could give a list of, of things that are outside the bounds, but it's actually much simpler and easier to say, well, where does it fit? And then anything outside of that is outside the bounds. And it's, it's very simple. God's standard for sexuality is very simple. It is exclusively, exclusively for marriage between one male and one female who are of the age to, to engage in that, who are of the age to marry. So that's it. That's very simple. And so that, that, that tells us where the boundaries are. Now, um, here, the emphasis is this. Uh, it says that we should ab- avoid three things, and we should practice one thing. Verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, which is anything out of, outside of God's, God's uh, definition of its, its proper realm. Abstain from sexual immorality. That's the first, avoid that. And then in verse 5, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So our sexuality should not look like this. It should not look like the world's sexuality. They don't know God. They don't know God's standards. And so, of course, this is how they act. And so we should act differently. And then verse 7, we haven't been called for impurity, um, but we've been called in holiness. And uh, verse 6, I I jumped over something here. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. So we should avoid taking advantage of others. And by the way, when you get outside of God's standard for sexuality, in some way or another, you're taking advantage of someone else. And so it says here uh, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. So those are the things to avoid. The thing to, to do is to gain mastery over our own bodies. Um, in, verse, uh, in verse 4, it says that each one of you know how to acquire, literally it's, it's, a, it's an unusual expression, but acquire his own vessel. Acquire his own vessel. But I think the best interpretation of that is to acquire mastery, to gain control over one's own body. And you find that, that Paul used language that was, was aggressive about this. He says, I... I beat my body. I, I bring it under submission. I make it my slave. So I'm not a, a slave to my passions, but rather I submit them to my will. So there is a, a, uh, uh, an aggressiveness about this that we need to 
acquire possession. We need to gain mastery in this competition uh, and submit our bodies to God's will for us. And then there are four reasons for this. Four reasons are given. Verse 6, it says here, the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Now, this follows on the heels of don't transgress or wrong your brother or sister. And so I think the context means this. Uh, Sexuality outside of God's holy standards takes advantage of others, and the Lord Jesus takes that personally. It says the Lord, and I think that means the Lord Jesus, that he will avenge the wrongs that are committed uh, with this, uh, this sexuality that's outside of God's purposes. So that's the first one, that the Lord Jesus is an avenger. The second one is, and I I mentioned this in verse 7, God has not called you for this. He's not called us for impurity, but he's called us in holiness. Once again, not here, but over here, the calling that we have. And then verse 8, it says that whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God. So this is not a question, oh, you Christians think you're right. Or you Jews think you're right. No, actually, if we were the ones designing human sexuality, this is probably not how we would have designed it. We probably would have gone with something that, that was uh, more in, in keeping with our, our selfish desires. Uh, and that, that wasn't such a high calling. But this is God's standard. And that's why, why it's not up for debate. And then the final thing is this. He gives his Holy Spirit to you. And the way the, the spirit, the, the, uh, the text goes in the original language is this. He gives his spirit the Holy One. And that really emphasizes it. He gives his spirit the Holy One. And this kind of rounds it off here. We've been called for what? Holiness. And he gives his spirit, which spirit? The Holy One. And so that, that, um, that is a twofold implication for us one is this that we're called the holiness because we have the spirit the holy one but but it's a possibility for us now why because we have the spirit which spirit the holy one the holy one living in us enabling us to submit to god's standard for sexuality now there there are two distinct ways in which churches tend to go astray not only individuals but churches tend to go astray in this matter of sexuality. And, and this is maybe overgeneralizing, but some churches of a more liberal or progressive bent uh, either ignore or try to change the scriptures uh, to allow and affirm sexual expressions that are not permitted in the scripture. In other words, they're allowing the church to look like the world. So conforming the church to the pattern of the world. Other churches of a more conservative bent hold the line on biblical standards of sexuality, but tend to use them mostly to criticize people outside the church. And so uh, they, they use these standards to scold people outside the church. In other words, if the first group tries to turn the church into the world, the second group tries to turn the world into the church. But notice the emphasis here. Paul is saying, let's start with ourselves, folks. Let's start with ourselves. Uh, He's called you to holiness. And and may he call the nations to that same holiness, but but I'm focusing on you. And, And may your behavior in this regard 
be distinct from that of the world. Why? Because you are the called, set-apart people from God. He's assuming that the world will go astray. Why? Because the world does not know God. But if you know God, and if you say you know God, and if you call yourself a Christian, then this is the standard of holiness for you. So he's saying, let's live up to the standard for us. Now, that's the first, the first application. The second one is, is more brief, verses 9 to 12, and it's about love. And there's less space devoted here precisely because the believers were already doing such a great job with this. Now concerning brotherly love, the words Philadelphia, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, and that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. So you know how we use that expression, well, needless to say, and then what do we do? We say it, right, yeah. And not to mention, but then what do we do? We mention, and that's what Paul does here. Now, there's really no need to write to you about this. You are doing great. God has taught you to love one another, and in fact, you are loving people. They're loving people throughout the whole province here of, of Macedonia. Uh, they, and it's the focus here is on loving the brothers, the Christians in Berea, the Christians in, in Philippi, and the Christians in, in perhaps other cities in that area. He said, you're doing great. But look at verse 10. We've heard this before. At the end of it, we urge you, brothers, what? To do this? More and more. Die climbing. <laughs> Die climbing in the area of love as well. May you be loving better at the, at the day of your death than you're loving now. May you be loving better next month or next year than you're loving now. Keep, keep going up in this area as well. Now, um, this urge to keep climbing in this area reflects this idea that debt, uh, uh, the debt of love is something we never finish paying. Paul uses that language in Romans 13.8. He says, don't owe anybody anything except to love one another. That's the ongoing debt. And, and we can never say, okay, got that paid, now what? And if you think about the simple command, love your neighbor as yourself, uh, if you think you've done that, you haven't reflected deeply on that command. What's that saying? Everything you do for yourself, do that for your neighbor as well. Do you clothe yourself? Clothe your neighbor. Do you feed yourself? Feed your neighbor. Do you provide medical care for yourself? Provide that for your neighbor. Do you educate yourself? Educate. Whoa. This is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, isn't it? That simple command. And so what do we realize? That, that this is something we need to, we always need to be climbing in this area more and more. Now, we don't know the details of the obstacles to love. Why did, why did Paul bring up love here? Well, it may just be because that's basic to the Christian life. Why did he bring up sexuality? Maybe they were doing fine, but that's, that's basic to our, our identity. We don't know obstacles, but, but reading between the lines, it looks like some people in the Thessalonian church were taking advantage of the generosity of that church. That church was generous. They were generous not only among themselves, but in the whole region of Macedonia. And it looks like some were saying, this is great. Well, I can live off this. I can live off the generous generosity of other Christians. And that's probably why in verse 11 we read this. To aspire to live quietly to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands. It looks like that there were some that were being unproductive meddlers, unproductive meddlers. They weren't being quiet. They were going around talking. And not only were they going around talking, they were, they were not doing anything. They weren't being productive. They weren't providing for themselves. And so they said, 
don't, don't go around talking, but mind your own business and work with your hands. This is not a call to isolation. It's not stick to yourself, but it's to be productive and to not to meddle in other people's business. The, um, the missionaries had not only instructed them to do this, but they had done this. Look at verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 9. It says here, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So when they were there, they worked with their own hands. The missionaries did. And what do they say here? Work with your own hands as we instructed you. And then there are two purposes. So that you may walk properly before outsiders. That is, outsiders might look at you and say, those Christians, they're hard workers. They're productive people. They, they provide for themselves, and not only for themselves, they give to others. And then, that you may be dependent on no one. Which this this is, is, not, uh, is not saying, well, we should not help each other. On the contrary, it's saying, if you can provide for yourself, provide for yourself. But then there are many provisions in the New Testament. If you can't provide for yourself, the church will take care of you. But it's focusing on those who can provide for themselves and help take care of those who cannot provide for themselves. So if you can provide for yourself, do so. So that you have enough not only for yourself, but to help others. Now it's interesting if we go back to the second century, third century, we find that the Christians were able to point to these two areas in order to present the gospel and defend the gospel against attacks. They were able publicly to say, look at our sexuality and how it's different from yours, Romans, how it's different from yours, Egyptians, how it's different from yours, Greeks. Look at it and see that the gospel is good and true and beautiful. And look at the way we love each other and look at the way you treat each other. They were able to say, look at us, examine our lives, world, and you will see the beauty of the doctrine that we believe. Tertullian was in the second into third century. He wrote this. He says, one in mind and soul, we do not hesitate to share our earthly goods with one another. Which category is that? Love. All things are common among us, but our spouses. And you say, well, that's obvious. No, it wasn't obvious. Go back and look how the Romans did. Go back and look how the Greeks did. Go back. This was a, a stark contrast with their day. And that was a boast. They could boast about love. They could boast about their sexuality. There's a letter to Diagnetus, which is similar. This is second century. Like others, Christians marry and have children, but they do not expose them. In those days, unwanted children after birth were just exposed, left in the, in the garbage heaps. Like others, Christians marry and have children, but they do not expose them. They share their meals, but not their spouses. Again, they live in the flesh, but they are not governed by the desires of the flesh. Christians love all people, but all people persecute them. A blessing is their answer to abuse, deference their response to insult. For the good they do, they receive the punishment of malefactors, but even then they rejoice as though receiving the gift of life. They are able to say, look at our lives, look at our love, look at our sexuality, and judge our doctrine on the basis of that. The goal for us is to be able to commend the Christian faith in the same way, to hold our lives open and say, look at us, look at how we conduct our sexuality, look at how we love each other and love our neighbor. 
and to say, now consider our doctrine because of the beauty of holiness that you see in our lives. There are probably no area, uh, two areas of the Christian life that are more distinct from the, the, the mores of the world around us. And there are probably no two areas of the Christian life that call us up more short or shorter than these two areas, uh, the area of sexuality and the area of love. And there are probably no two areas or few areas that show more our need for Jesus than these two areas. When we bring up the area of sexuality, all of us kind of get embarrassed and, and, and start feeling a bit of shame as we, we remember the past and so on. And so what do we need? Well, we need Jesus. We need forgiveness. And that's the good news. Jesus came, he died, he rose again so that we can have forgiveness for all of those things that, that now cause us shame. In addition, he's given us what? He's given us his spirit. Which one? The Holy One. So that it's, it's not an impossible calling for us. Rather, he has given us the Spirit, the Holy One, so that we can live our lives in purity and love as well. When we just think about the, the high calling of love and that Jesus said, love each other just as what? As I have loved you. And we realize that we've just started our climb in the, in the area of loving others like Christ loved us. How did he love us? Greater love has no one than this. And he laid down his life for his friends, and we realize how far we are in this, from, from, from advancing in the, in the Christian life in the area of love. But once again, the good news, Christ has come. Christ has loved us. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ has given us the Spirit, the Holy One, so that not only we can practice purity, but we can also practice love. And so that we can say to the world, judge what we believe on the basis of what? Not our great accomplishments, but on the basis of the, the way that God has taken sinners like us, who are naturally given to be over here, and he has called us out, and he has separated us, and he has made us different. Why? Because of his grace and because of his power. Let's pray. Our God, we do pray that we would be able, by your grace, to live in holiness in the area of sexuality, that you would lead us not into temptation, and each of us has different temptations, different things that are, are, are calling us astray, and some of the same things. But I pray that you would, you would help us to gain mastery, O oh God, over our bodies, so that we would not be living as the world that does not know you, that you would enable us to have a holy sexuality, that, that even that that shows the, the beauty of marriage and the beauty of sexuality and the beauty of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit in people like us. And we pray that you would help us also to love, Lord. We've, we're just getting started in that as we contemplate the great love of Jesus for us. And Lord, we pray that more and more that we would love each other more and more, that we would love our neighbor more and more, and so that we would be able to, to die climbing in these areas more holy in the day of our death than now, more loving in the day of our death than now. May it be true, O oh God, in our lives that we never stop, but rather by your Spirit, the Holy One, we would continue to grow more and more, to look more and more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.